פרק א' הפתחות יסובי התורה, starting with הלכה ה'. אלוה הזה, אחד הוא. אינו לא שניים ולא יתר על שניים אלא אחד. This being whom we just introduced, we just know he's Eloah, he's the Lord, he's the authority. He's only one, he's not two, and he's not more than two. In other words, it's not that he's one in, in, in the same sense that, uh, you know, I have one finger here. No, he's one in a very specific sense, and we are only going to use language being aware of its limitations. God is one in the sense that he's not two and he's not more than two. And this is true, by the way, for language generally. Uh, Harambam believed very strongly that language is only helpful for us to rule out things that are not within the definition. There is very little, if anything at all, that we can say about God. As we said before, he's not... Of this reality there is nothing that we can use from this reality to describe him so even when we use the word one we are using the word one to say what he is not he's one in the sense that he's not two and in the sense that he's not more than two Ella ehad, rather he's one his oneness is not like the oneness of anything, any other creature that there is in the world. What does it mean? Lo ehad kamin shehu cholel ahadim harbeh. You can have, let's say, let's take this mug. This mug is one, right? There's only one mug here. However, if I look into this mug, I can split this mug, I can divide this mug, into several parts. I can split it into its handle, the mug itself, I can say the inside and the outside, I can split it into uh, parts if I break it, I can, I can uh, split it into molecules, whatever it might be, any object is divisible. So it might be one, but it's a one that is composed, that comprises many other ones within it. And this is not the kind of oneness we want to referred to when we talk about God. God doesn't have parts. God does not have aspects to him. God does not have three aspects, like the Christians say God does not have ten aspects to him. He doesn't have things that make him. It, it, it's not, God is not a mug. He doesn't have parts. Even though we say, we use the word one to refer to this mug, the word one has its limitations because the word one can be used for things that have many things that comprise it. God is also not one like any other physical thing that by being physical, by definition, it's divisible into mahlakot, into divisions, viktsavot, and corners or angles. So let me give you another example. Let's say that this wasn't um, a mug. Let's say that this was, that we were in outer space. I want you to right now delete all of existence, the stars, the galaxies, Earth, everything is swallowed by this 
one huge black hole that then disappears. And the only thing that there is left is one cubic foot, one foot by one foot by one foot of totally empty space. Now, can you call this cubic foot of space? Can you say that this is one, like God is one? Well, even if you take empty space, one cubic foot of empty space, you can still divide it. You can say the first half foot, the, the, the latter half foot, etc. It has mahalakot v'ktavot. Just by being physical, by being physical, by definition, it means that it's divisible. Physical things are divisible. Ella yihud, she'en yihud aher kemoto ba'olam. Rather, God's oneness is the kind of oneness that has no parallel in the universe. And now we are going to prove it. This is the proof now for God's oneness. And Harambam believed that every time we say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohim Adonai Ehad, and we make the Ehad longer, that's to give us time to go through this proof, to prove it to ourselves that God can be only one. By the way, this has, and we'll touch up, up, upon this very, very briefly afterwards, this has very practical social uh, consequences. The fact that God is one and he's not one, it's not only a philosophical point. This has practical consequences. <clears throat> So we have to start by, uh, by proving what's not the case, okay? If there were more than one gods, if there were more than one Elo Eloham, one of those primary beings, by necessity, they'd be physical. Why is that? Because the only thing that makes this mug different than this book, that permits me to count them, nimnin means counted, countable things, that belong in the same reality, like this mug and this book. They belong to the same reality. They are in this physical universe. The only thing that makes them be separate and apart from one another, the only thing that makes them be more than one, the only thing that permits me to put a number into them is symptoms of their physicality. The fact that this is in this area of time and space, and this is in this area of time and space, and they are not coinciding in the same areas of time and space. In other words, they need to belong to time and space in order to be countable. Let me give you a, a, an example. Take any abstract concept, something that's not physical. Say the, the Pythagorean theorem, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Where is that? How many Pythagorean theorems are there? Can you say there is two Pythagorean theorems? No. Numbers are a useful concept, they're useful language, only to describe things that are separate and apart from each other due to physical circumstances. That is what it's saying here. 
שאין הנמנים השווים למציאותן, because those things which are countable, that belong to the same level of reality, נפרדים זה מזה, are separate from one another, אלא במודעים שיראו הגופות והביאות, through symptoms that happen to physical beings. So, okay, so we are saying, if God was more than one, he'd be physical. Okay, so maybe he is physical. If God belonged to time and space, I'm translating, uh, I'm translating freely, if God belonged to time and space, like everything that belongs to time and space, it would have limits. It will have limits in time and limits in space. Everything that's physical has limits. Another definition of something that's physical. And everything that has a limit in time or in space, also whatever force, whatever influence that derives from it needs to be limited. You cannot create something that exceeds time and space from something that belongs to time and space. Therefore, if we assume that God is more than one, we are forced to assume, to, con to conclude that he belongs to time and space, and we are forced to conclude that whatever force he has is a force that derives from something physical from time and space. And lo and behold, this is something that we can prove. We look around and we see that there is something outside this system that we call reality, the physical reality. There is something outside that exceeds, precedes, is above and beyond this physical universe that guides it. There is a programming to nature. There is a programming. There is laws of physics, which means that there is a programmer. That is what Harambam was referring to before when he said that we can prove God's management of the universe. So we can see, if you look at reality, you will be able to conclude that there must be something out there that is not within time and space, that sets the tone for time and space and is not within time and space. And that thing, by definition, can only be one. Why? Because numbers don't apply to things that are not within time and space. And our God, blessed be his name, by the way, uh, just one more adjustment into how we are referring to God. So we started by Masui Rishon, the first being. We moved to Eloah HaOlam. Then now we are switching to Elohenu. We are saying our God. That's, that's something that we are bringing it closer and closer and closer to the subject matter of Mishneh Torah, which is the Torah of Am Israel. Given that we know that he has a force, he has some kind of an influence that has no end nor interruption, because we can see that the world is constantly functioning, this programming the world has is consistent, is constant. There is a sort of an influence, a sort of a force that is not derived from within time and space. 
given that it's outside time and space, there is nothing there to permit us to attribute any number to it, to make him separate from another. Therefore, we have to say that he is one. And being aware of this thing, Misvat Ase also is a positive commandment. As it's said in the Torah, we say this, we say this twice or three times a day. Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Ehad. By the way, Adonai Elohenu, God is our Elohim, is the beginning of what we said before. Eloaze Hadhu is another Pasuk in which we express the same thing that is said by Anochi Adonai Elohecha, Adonai Elohenu. And Adonai Ehad, God is one. What we should think when we say this is proving it to ourselves that God is not physical. Therefore, numbers don't make sense in his reality. I think that the reason Arambam switched suddenly to Elohenu in Halachazain is to conform the language of this Pasuk Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Ehad. Now that we set the statement, we explain how things are, Harambam is going to, like he did before, prove that this is indeed what the Torah says. In Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Israel in the Torah, for Hashem, your Lord, He is HaElohim. He is on the heavens, and above, and on the earth and beneath, or from beneath, and on, on, on the earth. And it's impossible for anything physical, anything that's defined by time and space, by coordinates of time and space, only has, sorry, <clears throat> only has one junction of time and space. It does not have, it cannot exist in two places simultaneously. Even in quantum mechanics, this still holds true. If something is physical, it cannot belong to, to places at the same time. And Moshe Rabbeinu saying that Hashem is in the heavens, in the heavens and on the earth, is a way of saying to that generation in their language, God exists in two places at the same time. Meaning, don't think that He's like anything that you can find on earth that can only exist in one place at the same time. Also Moshe Rabbeinu says to Am Israel, you have not seen any representation of God. And to whom could you possibly compare me, says God, that, that I could be, that, that I could be uh, comparable to that person? And if God were physical, all physical things have at least one thing in common. They all are physical. So if God is saying, I am not comparable to anything, he's saying also, I'm not physical. Because if he were physical, he would be comparable. And now I think this is the main point Hanamam wanted to express in this chapter. Halachatet, Yod, Yod Aleph, and so on and so forth. In Ken, if this is the case, if this is the case that God is not physical, God is only one, the Torah agrees to it. 
what are all of these instances in the Torah where we hear of expressions of statements about God that imply as though he is physical. It says, and under his feet in Shemot. That the tablets, the Luchot, were written through the finger of God. Yad Hashem, the hand of Hashem, which is found in several places. Aine Hashem, the eyes of Hashem. Ozne Hashem, the ears of Hashem. And statements of this sort. What is, what is this? What is the Torah saying? So now comes one of the most important rules in learning Torah. The Torah was not written from the point of view of God and expressing his truth and his level of reality. The Torah is not a book expressing truth. The Torah is a book that communicates with mankind. There is a book that is meant to be processed and understood by mankind. And it's written, therefore, in the language of mankind, using words that mankind understands, and even using concepts that at first glance are misleading. Of course, you can read beyond these concepts and understand what truly the, 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 the idea is supposed to be. But at first glance, this is the way humans speak. And the Torah is using this language to, this, to, to, to refer to Borei Olam. And by the way, it could not be any other way. As we said before, anything that is said by definition is wrong. Anything that can be said with language is by definition inapplicable to God. Language comes to describe this reality God does not belong to this reality. Therefore, anything I can say from this reality will not apply to God. Everything is according to the mind and the understanding of humans. The only thing we can relate to, the only thing we have language to describe, is physical physicality, physical things. And as Hachamim say, the Torah has spoken, the Torah expresses itself in the language of man. And everything we have to understand are kinuim, very important term. Everything is kinui. Um, the best word to describe kinui would be a, um, if you want, you can say metaphor, a parable, a, a, a functional term. It's a functional term that comes to express a certain function expressed by the same term. For example, if I say the, the eyes of God, I'm trying to describe the fact that God is supervising, like we'd say the eyes of somebody. And Haram is going to prove it. It said in Ha'azinu, God is describing the way he takes revenge of the enemies of Israel. And he says, I'm going to, uh, to, 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 uh, to raise back and forth Berak Harbi, the, the blade of my sword, as if it were to kill people. But we have seen God waging war. We have seen in history how in the Six Days War, we have seen in, in, in past wars against Egypt and against all of the enemies of Israel, we have seen God waging war for us. And we have never seen a heavenly sword coming down with a shining heavenly blade uh, going up and down and killing people. Obviously, 
This is a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. Does God have a sword with which he kills our enemies? Rather, this is a parable. They are called mashal, and so too everything else that we just described are parables. And there is a proof for this. One prophet, but by the way, Haramam is calling here Daniel a prophet. Elsewhere, he says he was not a prophet. But Daniel saw God as he saw him dressed in very pale white in this vision. And he saw him with uh, uh, dressed with clothing as red as the as the as the vinegar that comes from the wine. himself saw him in two ways. Once on the ocean, he saw him in the form. In this vision, he saw him as a, a warrior. And at Har Sinai, he saw him as somebody who is praying. So which is it? And by the way, this is very important. An imaginary God, a God, a deity, that is a figment of your imagination, that is a projection, will always look the same. Will always look the same. Think of all the representations of Jesus you can think of. It's always the same exact thing, the same tunic, the same hair, the same everything, because it's supposed to represent the same figment of imagination. When something is more dynamic, like these representations in the, in the prophecies of these prophets, it tells you that it's not the prophet that's generating it. Actually, the fact that they saw him in these varying ways, in these different depictions, tells you that everything was prophecy and parables and not as God actually is. And how God actually is. This is not something that man's mind is equipped to handle. It says, if you, uh, if you tried to investigate God, could you ever find him? Until the end of times, would you ever be able to find Shaddai, God? Of course you would not be able to. It's not something that humans can or should try to, to, to understand. So Yod Aleph, another question that's very powerful in the Torah. What is what Moshe Rabbeinu tried to achieve when he asked God, he asked God, show me your honor, show me your, your, your kavod, yourself, as if it were. So did Moshe not know that God cannot be known? What did he want? What Moshe Rabbeinu wanted was to understand the reality of God, to be able to differentiate, distinguish God's reality from everything else. Just like a person, if I, if I know someone, if I know what my friend looks like, then as my friend is walking away, even though I cannot identify my friend by a positive ID, I can 
by elimination, by knowing, well, so he doesn't look like this one, doesn't look like this one, it must be that it's this one. That is what Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know with respect to God. He wanted to know enough, enough affirmative attributes about God to permit him to identify him from everything else. So Moshe wanted the reality of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of the Holy One blesses He, to be distinct, to be distinguishable in His mind from the reality of everything else. So that He could then perceive a little bit of the reality of God as it is. But God responded to him, He told him, a human being, while he is alive, while we think through neural connections, through time and space, things that belong to time and space, we cannot comprehend something that is outside. We cannot comprehend God's existence as it is. But, there was a compromise. God told Moshe Rabbeinu things that nobody before him knew, nor will know after him. So he was able, Moshe Rabbeinu's objective, what he wanted was to be able to distinguish God from everyone else by knowing something about God. God told him, that's impossible. But I'm going to teach you something about everything else. Not about me, but about everything else. So that now Moshe Rabbeinu was able to differentiate between God and everything else. Just like, not if I know my friend, and that's how I distinguish him from everyone else in a crowd, but just like if I have seen someone once from behind, walking away, I, I saw enough of this person to be able to know who he is not. That's how much Moshe Rabbeinu knew from God. Of course, this is very, 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 very profound. Uh, uh, this is a very profound issue, and we are not delving any deeply into it. I'm just translating what Rambam is saying. But in very simple terms, what Moshe Rabbeinu was taught, was shown by God, was the rest of creation. And by knowing the rest of creation, by elimination, Moshe Rabbeinu at least was able to know what not to get confused by. You have two things. You have creator and creation. There's nothing else. It's God who created everything and there is everything else. If you know a little bit of everything else, you already know what not to confuse God with. And that is the most you can know about God. And this is what the Pasuk was hinting when it said that Hashem told him, you cannot see me, but I'm going to pass by and you're going to see, see me from behind, but you're not going to see my face. This is what the Pasuk was hinting to. Yod <coughs> And now that we know that he is not physical, it's also important to understand that nothing that is physical, none of the physical um, states can happen 
God. Lo hibur velo ferud. There is no junction and no separation between God. I would use instead of the word hibur the word yihud, but let's use hibur. Lo hibur velo ferud. Velo makom velo midda. There is no right? There is no place to God. Where is God? You cannot ask the word where about something that is not physical. And if you want to make this more intuitive to you, ask yourself, where is the Pythagorean theorem? Where is it? Where is it? Where is only a question that can be asked or something that has coordinates of time and space? The lomida, it doesn't have a size. God is not big, it's not small. Size only applies physical being. God does not go up, does not go down, up and down are physical terms. He doesn't have a right side or a left side, again, physical terms. The very same terms we use in the halakha prior, the front and back. God does not have front and back. And as we said, when the Torah uses these terms, it's trying to signify something else, normally something very deep. He doesn't have any sitting or any standing. He's also not within time, so that we say, when is God? Since when does God exist? Until when does God exist? Those are time questions. He doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, doesn't have a number of years. His time is not coordinated with us. Like, what did God do before? What did he do after? Before and after are also terms of time. He has no change. Change is a function of time and space. And moreover, you need to have something causing you to change, something above your existence, something that can be the cause to you becoming the effect for there to be change. That's not applicable to Hashem. He doesn't have <clears throat> death. He also doesn't have life. Like we understand biological life. He doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have a um, lack of intelligence or intelligence, like the intelligence of a smart human being. He doesn't have sleep or awakeness. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get happy. He doesn't get sad. He doesn't get joyful, joyous. He doesn't have silence or speech. When we say that Hashem speaks, we are not saying that Hashem speaks like we speak. This is also a physical term. The humans speak. This is what Hachamim say. This was said uh, by Rav, who was the greatest of the Amoraim. He mentioned him in the Akdama. He said, En lemala, up there, a, a metaphor for the reality beyond our reality, the reality of God. There is no yeshiva, there is no sitting or resting. Velo amida, there is no standing or stability. There is also no one way to explain it would be back and forth. Oref, like in modern Hebrew, oref, 
or Keshe'oref is the back of the head. But actually, the way Harambam himself explains these terms in his Pirusha Mishnayot of Sanhedrin is Hibur of Firud. It's a junction and separation. And since things are the way we describe them, all of the statements that imply the opposite in the Torah and in the Navin, it's all the figures of speech and parables. Like it says in Tehillim, the second chapter, the one who sits in the heavens is laughing. Of course, it's a figure of speech. It doesn't mean that Hashem sits. It doesn't mean that he's on the heavens. And it doesn't mean that he laughs. It's all, it means something else. It's functional. It's contextual. They make me angry with their banalities. Like, like God was excited to, 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 to multiply you, so he'll be excited to destroy you, says the Kedalot. And so on and so forth. About all of these things is what Chachamim said. The Torah spoke in the language of man. And as it's very clear in another Pasuk, Hashem asks, do they think that they are making me angry? I cannot be made angry. Harehu Omer, Ani Hashem lo shaniti. Malachit also says, I, God, I've never changed. You are the ones who've changed, Am Israel. God is saying to us that he doesn't change, just like Harman describes it. Ve'ilu And think about this for a second. If his state of mind changed, if he had moods, if sometimes he became happy, sometimes he became sad, by the way, based on things we do, we've all heard rabbis and others saying, let's make God happy, or this is, God is very sad right now. Please never ever take these things literally. I, I'd urge rabbis not to use these terms. It's not appropriate, it's not right, and it's definitely not true. But if God was sometimes angry and sometimes happy, this in itself is change. And if you think about this, it is a change that belongs in time. It's a change that can go in the same sentence as before and after. Both words that can only be used for something that belongs within time and space. And if you think that you are uh, doing great things by, by giving a shi'ur and saying that God is becoming happy with your mitzvot, etc., you are using terms that are reserved for hagufim ha'afelim ha'shefalim. They are reserved for very dark, um, lowly bodies like ours. This is a paraphrasing of Pasuk in Iyov. What, the, 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 the bodies that inhabit batehomer, they inhabit um, houses or encasings made of matter. Asher be'afari sudan, that in the, at the very essence, were created out of dust. We are lowly. There is nothing to be proud of, of our emotions, our feelings. This is all chemistry as we know today, and it's all things that belong to time and space, and it's inappropriate to try to project those lowly attributes that we have to our Creator.
אבל הוא ברוך הוא, התעלה והתקומם על כזה, but he, blessed is he, let him, let him be above and beyond all of this. We'll continue with the second chapter.